what's going on. I just want you to think about this. There are children and families that are having meals this month because of you that they would not have had without you, or at least not to the same quality. You are impacting lives in a very tangible way through an organization that endeavors not only to help them physically, but spiritually also, help them economically, help them on multiple levels. And so just keep in mind as we talk about those red barrels and putting food in there, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about families that do not have enough food and they're able to come and they're able to get food and get healthy food for their kids, and you have a part in that. So I really appreciate that. The other thing is, I just want to also mention about small groups. If you are involved or like you were involved in one and you're planning to be involved in that same one again, just let us know. We're just trying to get a handle on who all is involved and what the groups are. If you're a group leader and you're going to be leading again this year, please just let us know. We just need to get a handle on that. That's why those papers are in your bulletin, and uh, we would appreciate that. All right, we're in a, we're in a study on the book of 1 John. And uh, I, am, I am enjoying this. You may not be, but that really it doesn't matter to me. I'm enjoying this immensely. And uh, I'm, I'm enjoying studying and going through this and learning. And, and today we're going to look at this passage, 1 John 1, 5 through 10. We're not going to get through verses 5 through 10. We're probably just going to get through verse 5, actually. But let me remind you of where we were last week. What happened last week? It was John's introduction, verses 1 through 4, and John is introducing this book that he's writing. He's talking to the people that he's writing it to, and he's telling them, I'm proclaiming something. He says, we, the apostles, we're proclaiming something. We're proclaiming the word of life, he says. He's, he talks about this life, this zoe, this eternal life, which, which is eternal in quality. It's not just life in the future. It's life right here, right now, and in the future, so a quality of life that flows into eternity. He introduced this concept of fellowship, koinonia, that is now possible between God and man and between God's children with each other, so vertically and horizontally. Okay, it's not just a legal relationship. We talked about that. It's an intimate relationship, and we were made for this. We were made for fellowship. You are made for this. Why do we even bother with small groups? Because we're made for it. Now, some of you, those needs may be being met in other areas. Uh, you're, you're involved in other, okay, that's fine. We're not against that, but I just want you to know you're made for this. You're made for fellowship. You're made for koinonia. You are, God is not interested in lone rangers, all right? And so what is the result? In, in, in 1 John 1, 4, he says, this is what the result is, joy. He says, I'm interested in joy. Your joy our joy, all of us. This is what's happening here. So he's finished with that introduction. Now he's going to start digging in. He's going to get into the meat of the, uh, of the passage. And so he's going to talk about the nature of God. One aspect of the nature of God. And this is verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light in him there is no darkness at all. And I just want to tell you, in the Greek, he really highlights that point about darkness. In the Greek, it says, in him, there is no darkness. And then he just uses a very, it's like an exclamation, like capital letters, none. So think of it, in him, there is no darkness, none. None at all. Um, you'll see that, uh, I think I'd, 
I think I put them, yes. Uh, on the bottom of your sheet is the expanded translations where I've expanded the translation to try to bring out some of the nuances of the Greek. And, and it says that in there. It says, and darkness in him does not exist. None. It's very firm. He says that very firmly. And so here's his message. This message that he introduced in, in, in verses one through four, I got a message for you. It's a message, and remember we, we looked at that. It's a message that we heard, and it's still ringing in our ears. It's a message that we saw, and, and it's, the imprint is burned on our retina. We still see it like it was this, just this moment. We're still hearing it like we're, he's still saying these very words to us. And he says, I'm passing this message on to you. And in verse five, he says, here is the message. I'm declaring it to you, faithfully relaying to you from Jesus, from God. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Now, in the rest of this ch chapter, he's going to explore these themes even more and apply them to some specific situations. But right now, let's just think about this for a second. He's saying, here's the message. This is the God who reveals himself. He is not hidden. He is not difficult to find. Let me tell you something. Uh, this is just a side, but let me just tell you something. If you, if you hear somewhere or you read somewhere somebody saying, I have access to deep hidden truths that other people don't have, stay away. Because those deep hidden truths are eventually going to end up being your money. They'll take money from you for those deep hidden truths. Because if I had some deep hidden truths, I wouldn't just be handing them out right here for free. Those things are worth money. I'd write a book. So what is he saying? He's saying this, no, this is the God who reveals himself. He's not hidden. He's the one who says, if you seek me, you will find me. I'm not hidden. So John is not saying after years of searching, I finally figured this out. No, he's saying I had it all wrong. And then Jesus revealed himself to me and showed me. So it starts with God. That's why in Genesis, that's why in the book of John, we hear, in the beginning, God. It starts with God. He's the revealer. See, it doesn't really matter what you or I think about God. What matters is what God says about himself. And this is one of the heresies that was around then and is still around now. People want to recast God in an image that's more palatable to them. And so what do they do? They start off by saying, well, I mean, did he really say that? Did God really say, does that sound familiar? Like maybe all the way at the beginning? Did God really say, don't do that? And that's how it's done. Did God really say, I, 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 I heard this the other day. This is why it was, really hit me. Um, there, there's a large denomination that is struggling right now I'm not going to mention, I don't want to bash anybody, but basically a guy got up and he was talking about their struggles and he was saying, look, here's the deal. We all know Paul didn't really mean that. He probably didn't even say that. It was put in later. And so if he did say it, and, he, and this, this is what he said, if he did say it, he was wrong. Okay, now there's something real there's something very powerful in that, and that is this. Where does that end? Where does that end? If I get to pick and choose, where does it end? Now, I'm not against understanding Scripture. I'm not against challenging ideas. 
I'm not against, I mean, if you've been here any length of time, you know I love history. I love understanding the culture. I love understanding the society and how that impacts how you interpret scripture. That's all very important. And I can't go in right now to all the reasons why I believe the word of God is authoritative. We can do that some other time. But there are consequences for not regarding the word of God as authoritative. And I want to touch that just for just a moment. Because if the word is authoritative, you can have a personal relationship with God. If it is not authoritative, you can only, you can only have a, a, a kind of a philosophical conception of God. Now here's why. Imagine trying to uh, know someone who will not speak to you. Okay, uh, uh, maybe there, there's, uh, it's, there's some woman that you, you would love to know, but she won't speak to you, all right? So you can know a lot about her. You can study her. You can talk to others about her. You can get legal records. You could even write a halfway decent biography if you wanted to. But unless she talks to you, you don't have a personal relationship with her. You can know a lot about God, but to have a personal relationship with God there must be somewhere where you can point and say, this is God speaking to me. That's why that's so important. That is, a, that is a road we can't go down because it leads to ruin. Because if you start to pick and choose, then what you're doing is constructing a God that you want. Not who he is. Because you're deciding what he is like. To know God you must allow him to speak for himself. And that's why John says, this is the message we have heard from him. These are his words, not ours. John's very, he's pushing that very hard. Because you know what? You could say, I mean, you could say, hey, Bob, we know you say you're just like us. We know you say you struggle like we do. You know you say you're just one of us. But I like to think, and I think that really, you're basically perfect. You're spiritual, you're godly, you're tall, you're slim, you're extremely handsome, you have a head full of hair. Okay? Now, if you said that to me, I would say, wow, thank you. Can I borrow some money? That's probably what I'd say. No, actually what I would say is, it's nice of you to say that about me, but you don't know me. And here's the key, because you are refusing to be controlled by what I say. You are refusing to give up control on what you think of me. You're refusing to be controlled by what I say. My words reveal me. My words reveal who I am. Now, I know you could say, well, Bob, what if you lie? Ultimately, I'll get caught. And that will reveal who I am also. My words will reveal me. You have to know me personally. It has to have communication. So our problems with God come down to a control issue. I want to be in control of my life. And his word contravenes my desires. I don't like relinquishing control. So I push back. I rebel. And John says, we're giving you the very words of God, the message of God. We heard it and we are faithfully declaring it. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness, none. And this is key 
John's emphasizing this because it is so key as we go through the rest of this book. He's saying in order to have fellowship with God, you have to have a basic knowledge of the God that you are fellowshipping with. And the basic knowledge of him is he is light. There is no darkness in him. You know how sometimes you, you hear about someone who's famous or rich or just better than you in some way and you hear that they've blown it or you hear that they're struggling or that they've had some sort of fall from their high position and you know how it makes you feel just a little bit better on the inside? Okay, some of you are looking at me blankly. You are lying, lying, lying. It makes you feel a little better on the inside to see someone come down from there. <laughs> they thought they were all that, right? That will never happen with God. He's pure light. There is no hint of darkness. There is no hidden spot. He's pure light. In the Greek, it's very careful. He doesn't say God is a light. He doesn't say God is the light. There's no article in front of the word for light, phobos. There's no article. And in Greek grammar, here we go, grammar... Okay, in Greek grammar, if there's no article, then it emphasizes the nature or the essence of the being of the person or the thing you're talking about. So in his nature, in his essence, God is light. He's not a light. He's not the light. He is light. John's very careful about this. Now, God being identified as light is shot through scripture, all throughout scripture. There's tons of places, and I was thinking about that and sharing. I could just share you a laundry list of, of, of verses. But, you know, I think I, I wanted to share a story, and partly it's because I love this story. I love this part of Scripture from Genesis 15, but also because it's good for us to hear it. It's good for us to remember it. I've shared it before, but it's good for us to remember it. In Genesis 15, God is about to make a covenant with Abraham. All right? And so he tells Abraham Go and get these animals, a cow and, you know, all. go get these animals. Now, he's going to cut a covenant just like people would do covenants back then. It would be as if God said, let's make out a contract together. And I'll have all the, you know, whys and wherefores and all the points and all that. It, just like that. But he does a covenant, and he, doesn't, he does a covenant in the Old Testament the way people did covenants in the Old Testament. If two kings went to war and they decided to make peace, they would cut a covenant and when they said they'd cut a covenant, they literally meant cut a covenant. Because they'd take a cow and they would, and they, they would do this. They would find a ditch and they would cut that cow in half and put it on either side. And a lamb and a goat. And lay them on either side so the blood ran and pooled in the middle or slightly came down the middle. And that's how you would cut a covenant. And then what would happen? Well, the first king, the greater king, the king that won, it's always the more powerful one first, he would walk through those animals, getting the blood all over his feet, getting the blood all over the hem of his garment, just like that. And he would declare, we, and they'd say, we've made a covenant. We're going to be at peace. Here's, here's what we're going to do together mutually to ensure our peace. And then they would walk. He, the first king would walk through it. And he would declare, you may do to me what we have done to these animals if I break this covenant. And then the second king, the lesser king, he would walk through. You may do to me what we did to these animals if I break the covenant. And that's cutting a covenant. God says to Abraham, go get a cow. 
Go get a goat. Go get a sheep. Go get some pigeons. Go get some birds. We're going to cut a covenant. Now, think about that for a minute. Do you want to make a covenant that's based on ultimately your life, your death, with God? Because God's going to say, and he says this, Abraham, this is what I will do for you. I'm going to do this. 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 I'm going to do things beyond your wildest dreams, things you never imagined. This is what I'm going to do for you, Abraham. And all you have to do is obey me fully. And you know, right then, Abraham said, whatever the Hebrew word is for crap, I'm a goner. I'm a goner. Because if I cut a covenant with God, who's going to break that covenant? Boink. Me. I'm going to break the covenant. And that's why it's very interesting. If you read Genesis 15, it's very interesting. Because it says this, this dread. that it can't, God puts Abraham to sleep. Why? Because Abraham is going to be like, I'm out. I'm out of here. Boom. He's going to take off. And it says it's a dreadful thing. It has that, that, that idea of something that shakes you in fear and horror. Because Abraham knows that I'm a dead man with this. I have no chance at all. And so then it describes God going through between the animals. But it lists two things, not one. The first it says, most of your versions will say a smoking pot. A smoking, don't even go there, uh, is a furnace. It's a furnace, but it's a refiner's furnace. It's very key. The word is very technical. It's a refiner's furnace. What is a refiner's furnace? Well, they take, say, parts of gold that they dug out of the ground. They throw it in this, and they heat it very hot. And what happens? The gold melts. And what comes up? What they call the dross. The impurities rise to the top. And then the refiner, he'll lean over it and he'll have this, this, this thing. And it's just very carefully, he scrapes the dross off because he doesn't want to get any of the gold. He scrapes the dross off and gets rid of it and scrapes the dross off and gets rid of it and scrapes again. And he lets it go for a while and more stuff rises and he scrapes it off until the gold is pure. How does he know the gold is pure? When he looks down and he sees his face perfectly reflected in the gold, then he knows it's pure. And God says this. God says, look, I am going, I'm the refiner. I'm going to refine you. And sometimes I, that means I have to apply heat and I have to scrape off the impurities that come bubbling up in difficult situations. When you get upset, when you get frustrated, when you get angry and things maybe come out of your mouth that shouldn't come out of your mouth and things occur to you in your mind that shouldn't occur in your mind and maybe you do things that you shouldn't do and God goes, I'm trying to get rid of those things. I'm bringing them to the surface so I can scrape them off. Why? Because God says, what, I want to get to the point to where when I look at you, I see me. I see me when I look at you. That's the point. So it's interesting. First of all, this, this furnace, this refining fire goes through. And then it says light. It says a torch. But literally it's light goes through. God is light. And what does light do? Light reveals. Light reveals to the refiner. 
what needs to be taken care of. But this is the key. This is the part I love. This is one of my, I just love this. So God goes through. God gets the blood of these animals on him. And he says, you may do to me what we did to these animals if I break this covenant. And I'm sure how, whatever state of consciousness Abraham is in, Abraham's like, big deal. You're God. I'm not really, listen. And then God goes through again. Two things go through. Two times through. God goes through again and gets blood on him. Blood on the hem of his garment. And he says, you may do to me what we did to these animals if you break the covenant. What? If you break the covenant, we do to me what we did to these animals. See, Jesus' death is already done right then. It's already done. Because Abraham's going to break the covenant. Abraham knows it. That's why he didn't want to cut the covenant. And that's why God had to put him to sleep. He said, Abraham, just hang around and see what I'm going to do. You're not understanding. It's not going to be you. I've made a covenant with you that even if you break, I honor. And so, God goes through twice. God takes on the responsibility of Abraham's sin. This is the God we serve. He is the light. He is the light that goes in your place. He is the light that went to the cross. All right? Light and glory are often used together. Glory has that idea of something that has weight, something that is powerful. So God is light. He's the great revealer. It's his very nature. So it is important to know that if you want to have fellowship with God, he is light because we tend to not like light. And so this is key if I want to walk with God, if I want to know him. See, God is saying, look, you want to have a relationship with me? You want to have an intimate relationship with me? Okay, let me tell you something about me because this could be a deal breaker for you. I am light. I reveal by my nature, by my essence. I couldn't not do it if I wanted to because it is what is me. I reveal things. I'm going to reveal things in your life. If you don't want things revealed in your life, then what you're saying is, I don't want an intimate relationship with you, God, so that might be a deal breaker for you. When I started dating my wife, a couple dates in, she said something. She said, I've had some relationships that haven't gone well, and I'm tired of masks. I'm tired of games. I'm tired of pretending. I'm trying, tired of trying to be something or someone I'm not. So if that's not for you, let's end this now. Save us both time and save you a lot of money, because I'm not cheap. She didn't say the money part. She didn't say the money part. But all the other stuff she said, she said, I'm tired of pretending. I'm tired of masks. I'm tired of being, trying to be someone that I'm not. And so if you don't like that, let's just end it now because I'm just going to be me. And I told her, I said, that's what I want because I've been going through some crazy stuff too. And we were just a few dates in and I remember thinking, I think this is the one because I like this. I like this. And I was right. Just wanted to say that. <laughs> so now we can fellowship with the light. We can walk in it. We have this message. We have the words of God so that we can know him. And this intimate fellowship comes as we get to know him better through his word. 
the problems that John is going to address in this book, he addresses to people. He's going to deal with people who have wandered from his word. And they have begun to craft a God who's kind of in their image, like they want him to be. And we still do that. People still do that. So what we have to do then is we have to go to the word. He's emphasizing this to us. We have to go to the word. I'll go back to that and take the blood off the, off, off the overhead there. We have to do things that enable us to get to know him better. Now, we talk about these things all the time. We talk about the obvious things. We talk about spending time uh, studying God's word. We have, we have uh, devotional books out in the lobby and out here that are free for you to take to help you spend time in God's word. And when we spend time in God's word, th those are times where God can speak to us because it's his word. And then we say, well, we need to pray too. Because prayer is important. It's, 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 it's us beginning now to communicate with God. He speaks to us. We talk to him. We, we ask him for things. That's, that's fine. Or oftentimes, hopefully, we're just, we're praising him. We're glorifying him. We're honoring him. All those things wrapped up in prayer. But there's something that's between those two that I think is very important. I think it's, it's and it would be the, the biblical idea of meditation, not the way you think of meditation. The biblical idea of meditation is simply, now I am working the word into my life. God has spoken to me. Now what am I gonna do with it? And, it, and it, so it involves the word and it involves prayer because I'm praying the word into my life. I'm thinking it through. I'm thinking about the implications. I'm thinking, how do I act on the basis of this passage? Maybe whatever verse I happen or a passage of verses that I'm reading. That's meditation. That's the biblical idea of meditation. It's somewhere between studying the word and praying. It mixes them both. And I want to give you some practical ideas on that. Because I think this is what is so important. John is emphasizing to us that God is light. In him is no darkness. And this is important if we're going to have an intimate relationship with him. We have to know him. And the only way to know him, the main way, I should say, is through his word. That's what he's given it to us for. And so what I want to do is talk about this in-between process that's kind of like meditation. And, and I want to give you uh, five questions that kind of go with this. is not original to me, but I love it. All right? And I want to just take a passage then and apply those five questions to it. Now, I know what happened. I, I do this, you know, I used to, I'd go to conferences all the time, you know, and I'd go, and some guy would say, we got this great way of studying the Bible. Let's, we'll throw up a sample passage and, and we'll walk you through it. And, and my thing is always, yeah, but dude, you've been working on this sample passage for a long time. You know, you've been doing all these things. So this, this is in no way, let us, let us give you a sample passage. And let's see you work through it. Okay, now I can't necessarily do that, but this is what I did do, all right? This is a passage I read this morning. I pulled out a devotional book and I read through the devotional book this morning and there was a passage in it and I'm just gonna use that passage. So this is not something, I mean, this morning I had all kinds of things going on so I, I haven't rehearsed it. I didn't work through it. But first, let's get through these five things. I should have put them on your sheet if you want them, you just text me or email me or whatever. I'll just shoot them to you. But the first thing is when I look at a passage is I say, what can I praise him for? In, in this passage I'm looking at, is there something that makes me thankful? All right? Second thing. 
what does this passage show me that is wrong with me? Is there a sin to confess? Is there a habit? Is there an area of struggle? What does it show me about me? Third thing. What evil comes from forgetting this truth? I think this is very important. Because we think a lot of times about the truth. But what happens if we forget the truth? What evil comes out of forgetting the truth? What behaviors, what thoughts, what emotions, what false attitudes? Because there's a key here. I have it on the screen. The key is wrong behavior equals forgotten truth. The fourth one is, what should I be praying for? What should I, I put on here, what should I be yearning for? Oh God, I want that. What should I be seeking? And then the fifth thing is, is there something here that I need today? And, and, and this passage this morning, I said, God, is there something in this passage? I'm going to need this today. I'm going to need this today. Somebody's going to come up to me at church and annoy the life out of me. How am I going to deal? You know, whatever it is. That's mean. I don't even know why I said that. Just forget that. So today, is it a person? Is it a situation? What is it that I need today? All right? So let's look at the passage. Here we go. Therefore, as God's chosen people, this is from Colossians 3, 12 to 14. It was in uh, a book called New Morning Mercies. I looked at it this morning. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So I, I just look at this and I say, okay, so, so what, was, uh, what can I praise him for? What can I praise him for? Therefore, God, I, first thing I see, God chose He chose me. He chose me in the great baseball game of life. He picked me to be on his team. And he didn't pick me last, he picked me first. He if he chose you, he chose every one of us first. How does that work? I don't know. But God is outside of time. And so he can choose us all first, at the, I don't, whatever, at the same time, and then I put it back into time. He chose me, and he didn't choose me last. Remember, have you ever had, I remember as a little kid in the neighborhood, when kids in neighborhoods used to play ball together, and it, it, it wasn't AAU travel, you know, and, and, and so we were choosing up teams. And the two best players always choose. I choose you, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you. I choose. And you know what happened. The, thing, the reason why I remember it is because it was me. There's one kid left. Both teams have chosen, even. And one captain goes, I don't want him. You take him. And the other one goes, I don't want him. It's your turn. You have to take him. Me. They're talking about me in my face, right in front of my face. You know, it wasn't like I wasn't listening. So the guy goes, Mosley, you're on my team. Come on. I was like, okay. Go running over. He goes, go to right field. Just go out there. And you know, you know, in pickup baseball, right field is, you've been cast, you know, into the outer darkness. Nothing happens in right field. God chose me. What can I praise him for? He chose me. He says he forgave me. He loves me. He loves me. In spite of who I am, he loves me. 
All right? Second one. What does this passage show that is wrong with me? A sin to confess, a habit, an area of struggle. Well, I, I, verse 13 hit me. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances, grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I can struggle with a grudge. I can struggle with holding a grudge. And he's telling me, don't do it. Don't hold a grudge. I can, he mentions about bearing with one another. Sometimes when I'm bearing with people, I'm doing it just because I have to. I'm a, you know, it's tough sometimes. You're a pastor. You're not allowed to be normal with people. And so you have to be nice to everyone. I have to be nice to everyone. I go to the grocery store. I have to be nice because somebody there knows one of you and has heard about it, and they might make the connection. And I don't want to turn them off to Christ. I don't want to do that. But sometimes it's a very uh, begrudging niceness that is coming out of my mouth. And here he's saying, no, don't do that. Think of what I've forgiven you for, so bear with people. Don't hold a grudge. All right, third one. What evil comes from forgetting this truth in this passage. Well, this, this is full of it because all you do is take all those good things and flip them and look at the negative side. But also, to me, what evil comes is, is what are the things that I can struggle with? Holding a grudge. It can be hard for me to forgive. I'm not always humble. I like to think that I'm smarter than quite possibly I really am. And when I'm not humble, I tend then start to look down on people. As I was studying for this, studying the book of 1 John, occasionally you come across someone where you think, ah, they missed it. They didn't get it. They got the wrong point. They got the wrong. And it's very easy to go, you wrote a book? <laughs> Man, I could do better than that. Because you missed it here, dude. You weren't even looking at the Greek. It's so obvious in the Greek and you missed it. And then what happens? I sound like the Pharisee. God, I thank you that I am not like that person, dopey over there. I become the Pharisee and I look down on others. That's what evil comes from forgetting this truth. I become a Pharisee. That's part of the evil that comes from this truth, forgetting this truth. The fourth one, what should I be praying for? What should I be yearning? What should I be seeking? All right? God, I want to love like you love. I want to forgive like you forgive. I want to be forgiving. I don't want to hold a grudge, God. I want to be a person who forgives quickly and easily. But I'm not. What should I be yearning for? What should I be praying for? And then the fourth one is there's something that I need, we'll stick here, that I need today in this passage. And, and so to me, it's, okay, what's the big thing happening today? Today, here, church, us, together. God, is there something I need here? Are you, is someone, are you gonna bring somebody into my life? Are you gonna, and you know, it, it is, it's so easy. Um, before church, I'm running around, I'm thinking about 30 different things. I was out front saying hi to people, and all of a sudden, something occurred to me. And I said hi to a couple more people, and I go, oh, I gotta really take care of that. So I turned to walk in, and then I was like, oh, I forgot it. If I hadn't said hi to those people, man, this church, if we didn't have so many people, it'd be awesome here, you know? Uh, it, 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 and, I, and I forgot it. And then I'm thinking, oh, crap, what I forgot was really important. I remember thinking it was really important. And, 
And so I'm saying, God, okay, what are you gonna bring into my life today that I need? Maybe it's gonna be later today from this passage. Maybe something's gonna happen that I'm gonna be easy to get angry about or hold a grudge or not forgive. God, I don't wanna do that. Help me to be forewarned, to be prepared. And so as you look at these five things, you can apply them to any passage. Maybe some passages won't have one or two of them, but they work with everything. Because scripture's designed that way. It's designed, this is what light does. It reveals in your life. It reveals in your heart. It shows you things. So that then you can take care of them. You know, one of the signs that you're walking with God is that he reveals sins to you. If you're like, man, it's been a year since I've really had any serious issues that God has shown me. I'm like, I don't think you're walking with God. That's scary. Because light reveals, and you're not perfect. And so as we walk with God, he reveals stuff to us. And when we follow these, and we pray these things into our life, what are we doing? We're bringing truth to the heart. And that's fellowship. And it takes some work. But it glorifies God. Remember, glory is a weight. Glorifying God gives him the weight in your life that he deserves. Because are you afraid? If you're afraid, it's because his promises are not weighty enough for you. Are you proud? It's because his commands are not weighty enough for you. Can't forgive somebody. That means that person has a weight in your life that is greater than God. Struggling with temptation? That means something else is more desirable. Something else is more delicious. Something else is more weighty to you than his love for you. Because his glory is a weight. And his light is his glory. And so when we walk in the light, we're seeing him. We're seeing the glory. And we're seeing us for who we are. And fellowship John's talking about fellowship here because it, this, is, this is what is involved in this refocusing on him, intimate relationship with him. And then I want to show you next week, we're going to talk about the light and how it works in our life. We're going to talk about how light works. How does darkness work in our lives? In verses six and seven, I'll just, because he says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, this is what I get on this passage from a lot of people. Bob, I'm afraid that I'm not walking in the light. I'm afraid that I'm walking in darkness. And so I'm lying and I'm not living by the truth. I don't even know if I'm a Christian because of that. And John's going to address that in this passage, and we're going to talk about it next week. So if you're struggling with that, you got one more week of that, and then you will be released. All right? Just a promise. All right. So for all of us here, God is light. This is the message that he has brought for us. This is the message that he has faithfully, he says, it's still ringing in my ears. It's still light. It's burned on my retina. I can't get that vision out. I'm telling you this. Because this is what's key. And as we do that, as we apply it, the light, God's word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, changes us from the inside out. Change is possible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you that you have given this to us. It is authoritative. It is true. It is accurate. We can live by it. And this is the life that you have for us, that you have made us for. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We look forward to what you will do today, this week, this month, this year in our lives. And that as the light opens and exposes things, that we're, if we're quick to confess, then we begin that wonderful change to become more like your son Jesus so that when you look into that pool of liquid gold, you see a reflection of your face. We want to be like Jesus. For it's in his name we pray, amen. All right, we're going to take an offering. Um, again, if you're our guest here, we do not want you to feel pressured or compelled to give. This is what our regular tenders and our members do as a part of their worship.